Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy. I'm joined by Brant Daughtry, Drew Bahena, and Brooks Childress this afternoon. I'm filling in for the host of this show, J.J. Jackson. He's on his way to Knoxville to check the damages from earlier this week uh, This week, and uh, all the things going on there as uh, Tennessee was able to beat Alabama. I'm kidding, of course. He's got uh, a wedding to go to, some best man duties to attend to. His brother's getting married, so that's why he is on his way to Knoxville, and so we'll be filling in for him the rest of the week. Fun show planned for you today as we've got a lot to talk about in the world of sports as sports continues to get ramped up in the fall as we've got uh, the National Basketball Association starting today. We will talk a little bit about that a little bit later and talk to you about the Auburn guys getting an opportunity this year. Uh, We'll also, of course, talk more college football. Of course, uh, looking back more on some of last weekend, we'll start to turn the page towards the next weekend. Uh, and just all the other things going on, NFL uh, and Major League Baseball with the final game of the division series between the Yankees and Guardians about to throw first pitch in a couple minutes and also the beginning of the NLCS tonight between the Phillies and the Padres. So a lot going on in the sports world. Again, Ryan, Brant, Drew, and Brooks with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Brant, hope you're doing well, sir. Good to see you. I'm doing really well. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, hoping to have a great show today. Um, not not a whole lot has changed since yesterday, I guess. But uh, you know, more of the same today. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about uh, that big uh, Tennessee win over Alabama. We'll recap uh, Auburn and Ole Miss and uh, talk about the coaching situation. I'm sure that that'll come up at least once. So uh, happy to be a part of the show today and uh, hoping to have a good one. Intern Drew is here with us today. Drew, good to have you on the show, sir. Thank you, thank you. Happy to be back on. It's been a couple weeks now, and very happy to be back. And uh, we'll have Brooks joining us in just a little bit as well. So, heard that the show was dominated yesterday in particular by Alabama and Tennessee talk. So, I want to go back a little bit uh, to uh, the the Auburn game, of course, that happened on Saturday between Auburn and Ole Miss. And, of course, Auburn on the bye week. So, a lot of time for Auburn to mull their three and four start to the season. I think, obviously, the most notable thing is that Brian Harson is still the head coach of Auburn. He's been going on some speaking engagements in Birmingham and in Mobile yesterday and I think a lot of people 
Uh, at least thought it was possible that Brian Harson might be relieved of his duties on the Sunday following that Ole Miss game going into the bye week, of course. But it does look like Brian Harson will remain potentially for the rest of the season uh, as a whole. And so I guess my first question is, were you surprised that he is going to continue to be the coach throughout the rest of the season? Slash, are you glad that he is going to get to finish the, the rest of the season? Uh, surprised? I'd say a little bit. Um, I, I thought that he was going to get fired. I, the only thing that gave me pause about that was that the offense did look so much better in the Ole Miss game, and he is an offensive guy. He's he's got his fingerprints all over the offense, and it doesn't really talk to the or you know coaches the defense, but is not in charge of the defense per se. Uh, at least in the way he is the offense. The offense did have a better showing, so. I had read that it was kind of trending towards keeping him towards the toward, to the end of the regular season. I was not expecting that to happen, but it, it it does appear that that's the 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 choice that Auburn's going to make right now is you know the fact that he was not fired on Sunday makes me believe he's going to make it through this week and he's going to make it through uh, at least the Arkansas game. And I don't think that he's going to get fired in the middle of the season. Uh, it, without a bye week to get new coordinators and uh, it, give that interim head coach whoever he may be, he is he's never going to have been a head coach before, and we all basically agree that the coordinators are going to go with Brian Harson since he brought them over from Boise, so they're not going to stick around once he's fired. So you you've got to reestablish play calling duties. That's something that takes more than a week to do, uh, and so I think that. With Brian Harson staying, I do think he's going to get a chance to to finish out the regular season. Am I happy about it? I I don't know. Um, the The reason you fire a coach in the middle of the season is that you want to go ahead and get started. You want to make it known that you are going after a new head coach. Um, and to fire a guy in the middle of the season means you are punting on this year. Uh, you don't expect this year to to end well. So everything is playing for pride, and you're just you're focusing on the future. If Auburn is going to fire Brian Harson, they need to have that future in mind, uh, or or at least have have a short list of guys like we can get these guys. Let's talk to them and figure out which one we want. That has to be the situation that Auburn is in if they're going to fire a head coach, because that didn't happen, and and now look where we are, for better or worse. So am I happy about it? This is a roundabout, a roundabout way of answering that question. The, the answer is I don't know. The answer is I don't know. It depends on what does Auburn do after they fire Brian Arson. Uh, I think with when you consider all the noise around the situation over really the last month or so ever since the, the Penn State game, I think there are potential factors here that are more about perception like, I don't think there's really any doubt amongst administration that they want Brian Harson fired, that Brian Harson has a realistic chance to keep his job. I think the answer to that question is no. Um, I, I, I think, though, that the backlash against the, again, just the outside perception of Auburn with national people, uh, you, you've seen the, the Alan Green stuff got people irked amongst other athletic departments having them comment and that sort of thing and i think that part of it here is just to again kind of show maybe more patience than what was originally being shown because auburn's had multiple instances now um with brian harson in particular that they've just not looked very good 
in that moment. The semantics of it have not made them look good. And it obviously started all the way back to uh, the winter when they tried to forcibly remove Brian Arson from the job. And so it's kind of this weird twist here that the fans are actually going to be uh, outpatienced by administration, by the boosters. I don't think there was a scenario um, this offseason where Brian Harson would stay longer than the fans wanted, but essentially saying that the boosters would, would be willing to keep him longer than the fans were ultimately willing to keep him because I think the fans have turned to the point where no one – wants Harson around for the third year and that sort of thing. Everyone has different opinions on when and who who next, but I think the whole fan base is now in the in the the place of it's time to move on. And so I don't think that we I had a, a situation where people would be surprised that he's still around longer. I think it was always going to be I'm surprised he's gone this soon, not not the other way around. So I do find that part of it interesting because I think the bye week would have made a lot of sense because, as you said, Brant, you really need more than just a few days to get somebody in line to be able to head up all the play calling and all of the situation. When you're going to have someone that's still relatively very inexperienced in the coaching world, ultimately be that interim and maybe that's just in play maybe they just do not want someone so inexperienced to be the interim at the end of the day uh, because you're you're talking about someone like zach etheridge who uh, has not had really any coordinating experience you've got the current coordinators for auburn that are clearly brian harson loyalists brian harson guys uh, that will definitely not be on the next staff at auburn and it's really maybe not a perfect fit to have an interim, whereas other programs might have someone that's been in the program a long time or been a head coach in the past, that sort of thing. And so maybe it's just more about that aspect of it. And another reason you fire a coach uh, in the middle of the season is to save a recruiting class, uh, as you mentioned, Brant, to get a head start on the on the new guy. But I think the sentiment has been so clear that Brian Harson's not getting a third year that I think behind the scenes they're already working on uh, solutions to that. And then you you start to think about Auburn does not have an AD yet. They want they'll probably want their new AD to make the hire as they should. Um, and you also have the situation where you can talk to agents and that sort of thing, but the guys you're still targeting, they have jobs right now, even if it's not necessarily a head coaching job, even if you're talking about coordinators, they are working for another school. They're not going to leave that school seven or eight games into their season. So uh, I, I think it makes more sense than maybe first realize that Brian Harson is going to coach the entire season. And, um, Again, there is no incentive to losing. So you should, I mean, I, I don't think people have a problem with this, but should still be rooting for Auburn to win every game, should still be hoping that Auburn can have a turnaround. I don't think it influences Harson's job status at this point. I think it's too far gone. But Auburn's still got to try and find a way to collect themselves over this bye week to, to find a way to try and win football games going forward this year and try and find a way into a bowl game because I think everyone's kind of resigned to the fact that they're not going to go to a bowl game but the offense you saw against Ole Miss was better 
and there's teams that they're playing down the stretch here that have also had disappointing seasons. Texas A&M has been very disappointing. They're not a national contender at all. Arkansas has already been a little bit disappointing with three losses. You obviously have a win you expect to get in the Western Kentucky game, and you've got to wonder what Mississippi State will be like by the time they play Auburn when they're going to take an L probably to Alabama this week, and their season's going to look a little bit different than it did two weeks ago. So I'm not telling you Auburn will be favored in these games. I'm not telling you that they should win these games, but I'm saying you, you, these are not the type of games to punt on if you're Auburn, and they won't. Uh, but I don't know. There's a lot that goes into it, and uh, Drew, want to hear your thoughts now too on just everything that's going on with the coaching situation, and if anything surprises you about what's been going on. At this point, there's not much to surprise me. I guess, um, like you said, if Harson was going to get fired this season in the middle of the season, it would have happened this week and likely by now. Um, we're not going to lose Harson after Arkansas when we just had a bye week the week before. So I expect him here for the rest of the season at this point. And the point you made about maybe there isn't an interim in the program that the boosters, the people making the calls have confidence in, there's definitely some validity behind that given that as you said, again, the coordinators are Harson guys from Boise. Um, a lot of the position coaches don't have that experience necessary to get in front of a team and lead. And I will, at this point, I would be surprised if Brian Harson is fired before the end of the season. And I, I will say that there was an opportunity if this game went different, we might be having a different conversation right now. It was 21 to nothing Ole Miss in the second quarter. That's your moment to potentially quit. You're already down three scores against a team that's better than you on the road. That's your moment to where if you're going to quit, that's your moment. They did not. They obviously outscored Ole Miss from that moment, 34-27, to 27, uh, and made it a game that had to be played out in its entirety. It was still a seven-point game with nine minutes to go in the game until Ole Miss took the next drive and scored, I think, that was around the time. I think they scored right before the delay, of the lightning delay. But even still, I mean, you ended up playing a four-quarter game. So there's no signs of quit in the team despite the disappointing defensive effort and want to get into the game breakdown a little bit as well. I know it's still two days removed from it. But Ole Miss has a really good offense. It was disheartening that Auburn – could do nothing with the rushing attack though i think i saw somewhere 23 or so missed tackles for auburn which was double the most they've had all year and again credit old miss love lane kiffin when it's time to give who you want to be the guy that's the guy i want but when you double the missed tackles you give up over 400 rush yards I had defended the defense just 24 hours prior. I had said that it had kept Auburn in football games, but then giving up 448 rush yards. Holy crap! <laughs> That's a yeah. lot of rush yards. Yeah. So, I all that to say, incredible problems with the football team. Again, we're not coming from this game saying, here comes Auburn about to go on a four-game winning streak. But that the bare minimum... They did show fight. They showed the best offense they had really all season. Absolutely. It, it, that's. I think that speaks to the leadership of this team, and I'm not talking ex- specifically about coaching. I think there are – I think the seniors on this team, I think guys like Derek Hall, uh, John Samuel Shanker, Tank Bigsby, are stepping up in massive ways 
to not quit, to show that fight, and to, to not give up. And that's a big part of it, whether or not Brian Harson is here next year, and, and we all think he's not going to be. You're auditioning, if nothing else. You're auditioning for the NFL. You're auditioning for whatever team you're going to play for next year, hopefully Auburn. Uh, or if you want to go somewhere else, you're auditioning for them. There's a matter of pride at play here. And when you just go out and get your butt kicked for three hours on national television, it, it wounds your pride a little bit. So I'm glad to see that the guys are stepping up in the way they have because the team the team didn't quit. The defense played poorly. There's no, there's no questioning that. But the offense kept going, and the defense still played hard, you know? You... We all remember 2012. You saw what it looked like when guys gave up. Um, and this team isn't doing that. And I, as much as I would rather Auburn look like world beaters, you know, they're, they're not, they're just not going to this year. But I think, Ryan, you touched on it. Of the next five games, the five games that Auburn has remaining on its schedule, four of them seem quite winnable. There is only one where you go, at eh, most certainly a loss, uh, and that's at Alabama. But Arkansas has looked not as good as people thought they would look. You you are paying Western Kentucky to come and play you, and look, they have they have a really good offense. They can put up points, but also they're not playing Auburn every week. It, what does that mean? We don't know. We'll know when we play the game, but Auburn should win that game, you would like to think. Mississippi State is interesting because they've looked better than people have expected them to, but also is the book written on that? We don't know. But the thing to say that none of these teams outclass Auburn in a major way except for Alabama. So that game, so those four games that Brian Harson has upcoming are incredibly important because the, the difference between where we think we're going and seven and five, seven and five is a successful season at the end of the day um, compared to where we are right now. Uh, and, and look, I don't think seven and five saves Brian, saves Brian Harson's job. But it, it, it would show a lot of improvement and growth and maturity from the guys that are currently on the roster. And that would say, that, hey, regardless who the head coach is, you've got good guys in here. The program could be moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's the important thing to remember here is that you've got pride on the line and you've got individuals that made the choice to come back. Like as many people that are talented that have left this program in the last couple of years as there is – there's still guys, as you mentioned, like Derek Hall, could have gone the NFL, could have been, what, third-round pick or so. Something like that. Decided to come back to get a little better in that regard, have a chance to compete at Auburn. Got a guy like Owen Papa, which had a very frustrating season last year filled with injuries. He could have been amongst the transfers. He could have said, I'm a very talented player. If I get in another good situation, I could develop. I could be an NFL guy. He came back. He's a, he's a defensive leader for the Tigers and of course Tank Bigsby who a lot of people rumored that he was on the edge of entering that portal getting to go to another great school and have a big role for them and he came back and he's still grinding away and it's so fascinating to me and I, I probably worry about it too much but I will mention it here I worry in this age where there's seemingly more reasons not to see things through I worry so much about teams giving up and, and individuals quitting and, and that sort of thing because the portal makes it easier to go somewhere else. There's there's already financial incentives that you've already got. They've already made money even. And like, why am I still doing this if the team's not any good when we kind of blow 
up the proportion of, of how much the playoff matter and how much only only a few select bowl games matter. And so there's so many more reasons it feels like to not give it your all for the whole season. So I, I know this maybe 10, 20 years ago shouldn't have been something to commend. Like it should have just been expected. But I appreciate the teams that are not having the seasons that they thought they could or would have, that they're still actually giving 100% and all their guys are staying together, not transferring, not quitting on the team in the middle of the season. Because we've we've already started to see the leakage of that in previous years, we see guys hit the portal midseason. We see guys with NFL futures shut it down four or six games in the season when their team loses a couple games. Seen that go on at LSU a couple times in recent years, and it's just like I, again, I'm I'm not saying this is everything. I'm not saying everyone should go get a cookie for this, <laughs> but but at the same time, there is a higher risk now than there used to be of a team quitting or individuals quitting. And Auburn is one of those where you can easily make a case of why people should quit. They got a, a, a lame duck coach. They've got a team that's going to fight and claw just to go six and six. They got all these things working against it at a program that does not typically play like this. And yet, so far, again, seven games, got five more to go. So far, despite a bunch of negative things going against them, no quit, got way down against Ole Miss, kept going. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what you're looking for, you know. And I, I do think part of that is a function of coaching. Um, I, I've defended Brian Harson for a lot of things um, that now I'm kind of looking back on and going, well, I said I wanted to see more, and I think I've seen enough. Um, and, and but one thing that's true is that his players haven't quit on him. Uh, and I said the same thing about Gus Malzahn. You know, I was ready for Gus Malzahn to be let go of, but the fact is that his guys never quit on him. Everybody that ever played for him absolutely loves him, and I feel like you're going to hear a lot of that from Brian Harson, even if it's not as many guys because he's not going to get a chance to coach as many guys as Gus Malzahn did. Let's go ahead and take our first break of the show today. On the other side, our birthdays in sports brought to you by Max Credit Union. This is the Tuesday edition of Sports Call. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Sammy Coates, former Auburn football player and all SEC wide receiver, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Drew Bahena with you here this afternoon as we keep an eye on the sports world. We'll have some news that broke a little bit earlier about the NFL that I want to bring up at some point this week. If we don't get to it today, it's all right. But some news in the NFL. And then you got uh, right now the ALDS conclusion. Yankees-Guardians winner to play the Astros tomorrow. As they got rained out last night, so no day off. You got to win, and you're in, and you go to Houston immediately. Uh, Yankees just hit a three-run homer in the bottom of the first inning. John Carlos Stanton uh, on the bat for that one, and so three nothing Yankees. Bottom one, former Auburn Tiger Josh Donaldson also with a hit in the inning. Before we do birthdays and sports, we want to go ahead and go to our Auburn Bank 
phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401, locally, toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Terry from Auburn. Terry joins us. Terry, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. Good afternoon to y'all. Afternoon. Well, I tell you, I, worked, I walked outside this morning. I thought, let me go back and get a jacket. Yeah. yeah. Cold front hit hard. Caught me by surprise. Um, I, I really believe Gus Malzahn's future would have been totally different if for one decision, if he had just made Malik Willis the quarterback and not recruited Bo Nix. See, I really believe. I really believe that. Obviously, with what Malik Willis became, Malik Willis turned into a, a terrific college quarterback. But again, I, I, we we bring it up because a lot of people do bring up Malik Willis. Terry, you're not alone in that. But again, it goes back to what Malik Willis said about himself. He said after leaving Auburn, after he started to have success at Liberty, he said that he was not mature when he was at Auburn, and that he did not work as hard enough or work hard enough, and that it was on him. He blamed himself. Maybe he was just being nice. Maybe Maybe he was defending Gus, but at the end of the day, that's what he said about himself. And so if we take his word for it, he was not ready to be the quarterback at Auburn. Now, I mean, I can see that, but I just think he would have fit the system a lot better. I do think he would have fit, absolutely. Sure, I think he would have fit. I just don't think that he was ready at that time. And if he, if he, some guys need a change of scenery. And so it's very Mm -hmm. possible if he just stays at Auburn, he never learns the lesson he needs to learn. It didn't hurt having the change of scenery in Hugh Freeze's backyard, did it? Sure, yeah, Liberty, yeah, Hugh Freeze knows a thing or two, and then obviously uh, Liberty did not have to play uh, the juggernauts each and every each and every week. Right. Guys, I just don't see the positive. I see the reasoning, but I don't see the positive in keeping Brian Harson any longer than we have to. Um, I, I, I The AD thing confuses me because you guys know as well as I do, the AD has no control over that. It's just a figurehead thing. It just it's, I've always thought that. Does anybody really believe that Jay Jacobs was in control, or is he just told what to do? I think there's. I think he has people whispering in his ear. I think at the end of the day, he made most of the final decisions. Um, it, it, when it came to football, especially, there were people probably yelling in his ear. But uh, I, I do think that. The, I mean, the, the board has control. I mean, like that's not that's not shocking. Um, the board and the boosters. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about for me, Terry. It's about. It's again. It's about the semantics. So. People in Auburn might understand what's going on. People in Auburn might understand that it's the board, it's it's the boosters, and and all that. But to the outside world, you know, people all across the country are not staring into Auburn, Alabama, to know exactly what booster is doing what and, and that sort of thing. And so, when you have the AD, you have that figurehead. You at least, even if he's not the one actually making the decision to most of the country he is and it's about the publicity of that being the reason and not being the money the money guys at auburn yeah i mean the reason i bring that up does anybody really believe that greg burns and nick saban what to do well no uh exactly not- exactly yeah and any other coach any other successful coach around the country the kid the young man out of the coach out at usc i don't even know who the ad is out there but it doesn't matter he's in charge well sure but we're also talking about uh you know, guys, if you talk about Nick Saban, uh, Burn was. Yeah, I realize that's a, that's a much right. bigger argument. Sure, that's not sure. fair. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. But I'm just saying that that, that when it comes to firing, they, look, everybody, you got to you got to you got to know it's coming. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. It's a terrible fit. They fired the only supporter he had, and that was Alan Alan Green. Right and 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 he hired him and, and like I said about Brian Harson he wasn't the best he was just the first guy to say yes 
And then I think people miss that because, you know, Boise, he left his alma mater, Boise, to come to Auburn. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a one person that believes that coaches have enormous egos. And Brian Harson probably thought, well, it worked out here. It could work in the Southeast Conference where the big boys are, too. No, not really. It's a different way of life. It's a different way of coaching. It's just different. And and you know, to your argument you were discussing, you know, think of what Auburn's season could have been like if they'd stuck with Robbie Ashford, if they'd let him mature and, and get better hit. And of course, I don't know he's gotten a lot better. He's gotten a little bit better. Maybe play Jeremiah Rod on the offensive line more. Think how better the season would have turned out. Well, I think I, mean, I, I think I mean, the offensive line is really what's derailed the season. I mean, I know that they mm-hmm. started T.J. Finley at the beginning of the year, but I don't think Robbie Ashford getting the start from day one really influences if they – beat Ole Miss or they beat Georgia or, or, or that sort of thing. I mean, I, I think you're talking about the offensive line that's really derailed everything about their offense and therefore just about everything with the season. Look, I have never been, never will be a T.J. Finley supporter. Fine young man, the world needs more T.J. Finleys. But as far as the quarterback of the SEC, he's not going to get any better until he transfers down on the uh, level. That's, that's as simple as that. And so I don't know what people, people – say, okay, would he get better in the weight room or the film room or something? But he didn't, I tell you what, he didn't get better between the white lines on Saturdays. Right. I, I mean, yeah, the, obviously the, the quarterback development was was not really there. And I think you, you saw Auburn and you saw Harson try, and I know you've talked about the, the lack of getting a, a great portal quarterback, but obviously Auburn brought in two quarterbacks they thought could compete for this job. I think they were aware that T.J. Finley was not necessarily the answer there. Well, I mean, that, that's neither here nor there. But Brian Harson knew the troubles on the offensive line. He knew the, the deficiencies of quarterbacks. He didn't address that at all. And and now more than ever with the transfer portal and, and kids are just more ready. Let's face it, they're just more ready than ever to play out of high school at, college, at the college level with nutrition and weight training and things like that. They're just more mature and they're ready. I mean, the guys are you know guys are going. That's why guys are going to the pros in their junior years because they're ready. Right. I, I do. I do think that there uh, is a level there. There's some positions I would argue it's very it's still tough to transition from high school to college. I think you've seen I more. I think you've seen such as quarterback. I think that's one that you can come in pretty quickly if if you are a guy that is really different from from the rest of those guys in the class. Again, that doesn't mean guys that take a couple of years to develop aren't good. Can't be you know if someone's not ready the freshman year they can't turn into that. Uh, but I do think you see a, a helping of freshmen now in big programs at, at quarterback that are able. To, to come in from day one. We've seen that with someone like Stroud. We've seen that with someone with Bryce Young. Even Drake May at North Carolina uh, has been awesome this year. So I, I do think something like that, you could be really good from day one, but also some guys need development. I think it's, it really is a case-by-case basis. I think people have short memories. But you guys remember how much Carl often schooled a bunch of junior, senior, left tackles when he came in as a freshman at Auburn? Sure. No, he was, he, I mean, he was really good. Forget yeah. that. He was just he was, he was making him look ridiculous. So you know, it's just 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 it's just opinions. But they're, they're, oh, by the way, guys, the, the, all the teams, Arizona State, Colorado, et cetera, et cetera, that have fired their coaches, they've all won the next week. That it is pretty funny to see that they have had, they have had even Colorado, who is one of the worst teams, if not the worst team of the Power Five. I did see they beat Cal last week. Yeah, take care, guys. See you, Terry. That is uh, Terry from Hello, Auburn Terry. on our auburn bank phone line 334-887-341 locally toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine you know a thought that i had the other day that i want to bring up terry just said brian arson wasn't the best option he was the first to say yes you know who made a similar gamble on somebody like that tennessee josh heupel josh heupel and brian harson were similar very very similar 
You look at what Josh Heupel did at UCF. Let's let's go back to when they were players. Josh Heupel lived at Oklahoma. He played at Oklahoma. He was he had a cup of coffee in the NFL, and then he came back and he coached in the Northeast or the Midwest. He didn't coach in the South. Then he came to UCF. He built he built a Group of Five powerhouse, a very consistent contender at the Group of Five level, and then came to the SEC as kind of a well, well maybe this will work. Auburn and Tennessee made the exact same gamble. Tennessee's has just worked out a lot better. I actually think Heupel didn't do a great job at UCF, and that's what's funny about this. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you're right in that the hires were not yeah. home runs at the time. Heupel was not a home run for Tennessee. A lot of people had doubts about you're, you're him. You're right. You're right. I, I was forget. It was Scott Frost. Frost, it was Scott Frost had that, that built fir- that. Yeah. had the first year there. I, that was the 2017 year UCF beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. And then the next year Heupel came in, they had another good year. Uh, they, that was 2018. They lost to Burrow, uh, the first year of Joe Burrow in a New Year's Six Bowl. I think Fiesta Bowl, something like that. Average and, Joe before and, uh, he became what he right. became. And then the next year, which was, I believe, Heupel's last year, um, they went eight and four, I want to say. They they scored a lot of points. Offense was great, but they gave out like 40 million points. I mean, just every <laughs> single game, a million points. You thought Ole Miss scored 48 was bad. It was that every single week in the AAC for UCF. And then Tennessee hired him coming into uh, last year, obviously. And, and so I think that was time, unless he had a third year at UCF in there. But I think 18... 19, it, ah, may, he was I might 18, be missing 19, and 20. Okay, he had 18, three years. But his last year was eight and four, correct? Or eight and five? Uh, or? I'm not sure. Okay, uh, I thought I <laughs> thought we were looking up. But uh, hold on. Uh, in 2018, he went 12 and one at right, UCF. Fiesta Bowl. 2019, 10 and three, won the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh-huh. And in 2020, they went six and four. Six and four. Okay, lost I guess, the Boca Raton. I guess 2020. That's right. Um, Raton, Raton, I don't Raton. Know. So. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, they they did kind of slide a little bit. So it was kind of interesting that Tennessee, that was their move, but they saw some someone that did something really well, which was offense, and obviously that is working out. The Harson thing with Boise State, I think it's similar because he was not as good as Chris Peterson was at, at Boise State. Peterson was who developed Boise State, had longer legs at Boise State. Frost had one year at UCF that was magical, and then he moved on. Peterson was there a long time. He kind of perfected it at Boise State. They were the group of five school for a long time. And then Harson comes in, and he just kind of maintained a certain level. He didn't really – he did, obviously did not destroy the program. They won some Mountain West championships, but he also did not elevate. Not that you really could elevate what – Peterson did, but he did not elevate it at all. So it, it was very similar in, in those regards. Obviously, two incredibly different turns for these programs. Uh, and now, now people in Auburn fearing they are going to go through the ten to twelve years that Tennessee has just been on the heels of. But nevertheless, yeah. let's go ahead and take our next break of our number one. When we come back, final segment, hour number one, trying to get birthdays and sports in, and a couple other things. This is the Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Jay Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm. Of course, if you're listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast, we appreciate it very much. My name is Ryan LaVoy, filling in for JJ Jackson today. We've got Brant Daughtry, Drew Bahena, and Brooks Childress now in the studio. He is done with company business. Wow. Brooks, hope you're doing well. I didn't know when I came in here. Uh, that's true. Just well, appeared. you just sat there in silence for four yeah. minutes, um, one or the other. <laughs> I think I think I made this joke with JJ on the show the other day. But whenever the show is on and we're not on it, we just cease to exist until we're called in. Yeah, we're yeah. Just, we're I was just, just in the I was in the void. I was in the void somewhere. As long as you're not on the upside down, we can live with that. <laughs> but uh, just a few minutes left here in hour number one. Already had a phone call from Terry, giving his thoughts on the situation at Auburn, and. Uh, once again, if you want to give your thoughts, 334-887-34, locally toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9, to join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. But before we do anything else in the show, let's do this. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. Birthdays in Sports is presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn and the other on Frederick Road in Opelika. Let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Birthdays in Sports today on October the 18th. Mike Ditka turns 83 today. Former NFL tied in. And coach selected fifth overall in the 1961 NFL draft by the Chicago Bears. Duh, Bears. Duh, Bears. Duh, Bears. Proud of everyone here. Drew, would you like to? Duh, Bears. There you go. All right. Uh, also played for the Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Cowboys, Super Bowl VI champion, 1961 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, two-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, member of the NFL 75th and 100th anniversary all-time team. His number 89 jersey retired with the Bears and Pittsburgh Panthers, where he went to school. Go Panthers! Named as one of the 100 greatest Bears of all time. I I would think so for sure. 1960 unanimous All-American at Pitt. As coach, Ditka won two Super Bowls and was two-time coach of the year, member of the Pro and College Football Hall of Fame. Mike Ditka turns 83 today. Can you go into the Hall of Fame twice? Like, is he in the NFL Hall of Fame as a player and a coach? That's a great research question that I don't have the answer to. And uh, our lackeys will get to work. There you go. I do it myself, but I'm otherwise occupied, as as the people in the studio can, can tell. see. Yeah. Terrence Mann turns 26, <laughs> current guard forward for the Los Angeles Clippers, selected 48th overall in the 2019 NBA Draft by the Clippers out of Florida State. Out of Florida State. Go Whoa. Nose. Go. I was doing the research. Sorry. Sorry. Terrence Mann turns 26. Brittany Griner turns 32 today, current WNBA center for the Phoenix Mercury. Selected first overall in 2013 WNBA draft by the Mercury out of Baylor. 2014 WNBA champ, eight-time WNBA all-star, two-time WNBA scoring champion, eight-time blocks leader, two-time peak performer, three-time all-WNBA first-teamer, three-time all-second-teamer, two-time defensive player of the year in the WNBA, four-time WNBA all-defensive second-team, all-rookie team in 13, member of the 25th anniversary team in the WNBA at uh, WNBA team at Baylor. The Bears. Griner was 2012 NCAA champion. Final Four Most Outstanding Player, AP Player of the Year, two-time first-team All-American, one-time second-team All-American, three-time Big 12 Player of the Year, four-time Defensive Big 12 Player of the Year. 
That's a lot of accolades for Brit- just a couple for Brittany Griner. She's very good. Thirty-two today. Been very good for a very long time. Get home safe. Alex Cora turns 47, current manager for the Boston Red Sox, who are on their couch today, former MLB shortstop and second baseman, three-time World Series champion, played for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Cleveland Indians, Boston Red Sox, New York Mets, Texas Rangers, Washington Nationals. He's coach for the Astros in 2017, where he learned how to cheat. Alex Cora <laughs> turned 47 today. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. This is an anti-Astros podcast. 100%. All the way around. <laughs> Except when Chris Gordy's on here. True, because he does work <laughs> with Astros uh, time and time again. We miss you and we love you, Chris Gordy. You sounded like he was... Anyway, okay. In, in memoriam. Yoannis <laughs> Cespedes turns 37, former MLB outfielder, two-time All-Star, 2015 Gold Glover, 2016 Silver Slugger, played for the Oakland Athletics, Boston Red Sox, Detroit Tigers, New York Mets. Favorite pastime was getting hurt a lot. And going wow. missing. <laughs> huh? And going missing. And going missing. Yoannis Cespedes turns 37. That was an edgy end to the birthdays of sports <laughs> brought to you by... Max Credit Union. All right. Upon further review, um, the consensus on uh, the very reputable site of Reddit <laughs> says that uh, you sh- that no, it hasn't happened, but there's nothing in the bylaws that says it can't happen. That okay. you can go so into the twice. So Ditka is not in the Hall of Fame as a coach. He is not in the Hall of Fame as a coach. Right even now. though they did win, even though he did win Coach of the Year twice in two Super Bowls. It seems like a coach. I mean, yeah, it seems seems like I'm not a historian on coaches getting into the Hall of Fame in the NFL, but I would love to know like his winning percentage because I felt like he was really good for a long time with the Bears. Yeah, I mean, that's all I know about. Maybe, maybe there were a lot of years we, you know, you always cover the successes in general or the vast failures. Like if you're really bad, like the Bucks were in the '70s or '80s, you know about that, or you're really good, like the Bears were with Ditka, you know about that, but. Usually don't know the tweeners, so maybe you just had a bunch of years where they're just fine. I don't know. Maybe you didn't coach long enough. I'm gonna say maybe yeah. the Hall of Fame should have let him in. They're just wrong. I don't know. <laughs> 1988, his uh, he was inducted into the uh, first. He was being uh, honored of the first tight end inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It does not say anything under his coaching career if he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. It just doesn't sound like on it. his Wikipedia page. Yeah, what was his what was his record as Bears head coach? As just the Bears, he was one of six and sixty two. Really? Solid. Okay, with two Super Bowls. I don't yeah. know. I'm just yeah. saying maybe that maybe they missed out on that one. Well, I mean, at New Orleans, he was fifteen to thirty three as a head coach. Well, at New Orleans sucked for a long time. Then they got Drew Brees, and now they suck again. That is that is true. Um, I think that when I'm thinking about. Um, what, how many? Okay, let me ask this, and we we're gonna have to take our our or the end of hour number one's coming up in just a second. But the lat like how many coaches are in the NFL Hall of Fame? I know that's an impossible question to research in like thirty seconds. Like, hey, yeah, just go find out this this r- obscure question. But maybe there's just like incredible standards that I'm not yeah. aware of. Is there? There, hold on, hold on. Because some Hall of Fame are harder to get into than yeah, others. Is there a Hall of Fame player? that is currently coaching in the NFL? Because I can't think of one. I'm trying to, like I always thought Peyton Manning was going to be a great offensive coordinator one day, but he's just shown no interest in there coaching. There are 18 coaches in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Wow. I honestly expected more than 18. Okay, yeah. so see, I can now start to understand that more. Who Do you, do you want to name the 18? You uh, you've got George Allen, sure. Paul Brown, 
Okay. Weeb Awank. That's not I'm a real sorry. Name. That's yeah. It's made up. Ray Flaherty, Joe Gibbs. That's a baseball player. Okay. Sid Gilman, Bud Grant, George Hallis, Curly Lambeau. Yep. Tom Landry. Yep. Mark Le- Levy, uh, Vince Lombardi. Yep. John Madden. Yep. Chuck Knoll. Yep. Uh, Steve Owen. Yeah. John Shula. Yeah. Hank Strom oh, and yeah. Bill Walsh. Wait a minute. So there's not been a Hall of Fame coach inducted in a while that's like coached anywhere near. I mean, I guess Joe Gibbs was John still coached Madden. when we were young, but Madden was retired for a long time. Yeah. Now. He retired in the 80s, I think, late 80s, early 90s. I am on the official, I am on profootballhof.com. It by takes the way. a lot. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm getting a better understanding for this now. Um, Belichick's going. Is Tomlin going? That's what I was going to wonder. Is I was there, thinking like Andy Reid. Is a guy who's Ooh. probably gonna go. Yeah, I don't know. No. That that could be a whole deal. You could do a whole segment on that. Unfortunately, we're, we're obviously got hour. I mean, you've got to be an, an elite of an elite coach to get in. Yeah, I elite mean, elite is what I it mean, sounds like. Like did, did one Tony or two Dungy per generation. Tony Dungy. That's I, a good call too. Won a Super Bowl. Was it, was it was Tony good Dungy for a long in time the, in yeah. the Hall of Fame. And- I wonder if there's a longer waiting period than for players as to that's possible. You We're gonna have to take a break, do more research, <laughs> cross our T's, dot our I's, and figure out why there's only 18 head coaches in the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. We're gonna do that while while we take this end of hour break. A lot more fun on the other side. We might come back to this conversation. We find some cool stuff. We'll have some NBA talk. We'll talk about those Auburn guys headed to the NBA as they get start for a new season of pro basketball. Update you more again on the Yankees game going on right now. Some baseball, some football, some of everything coming up in hour number two. We'll be right back. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two getting underway of Sports Call here on this Tuesday afternoon. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Drew Behenna, Brooks Childress with you here. Had a fun hour number one, but uh, we have... To make some clarifications from the end of hour number one. <laughs> and uh, particularly, we were talking NFL Hall of Fame. We were talking just as this was Mike Ditka. We were wondering if he was in the Hall of Fame as both a player and a coach. He's in as a tight end. He is not in as a coach, but we found this weird list, and I found it too. 
and I don't know what in the world was going on um, with this list, but they had like their own separate page on the Hall of Fame for Hall of Fame coaches that coached in the Pro Bowl because everyone needs to know who coached the Pro Bowl team. That's right. Um, so, interestingly enough, well, that was the page we found, and that had 18 such coaches, but there are actually 28 coaches in the Hall of Fame. So, That's Brooks, correct. what what else we had in the uh, all right, so Hall of Fame as coach? I'll run through all 28, starting with the first induction in 1963. There were two coaches. Earl Lambeau and George Hallis were inducted in 63. That was the first two head coaches inducted. Then you had Jimmy Konzelman, Guy Chamberlain, Steve Owen, Paul Brown, Earl Neal, Vince Lombardi, Ray Flaherty, Weeb Eubank, um, Sid Gilman, Tom Landry, Bill Walsh, Chuck Knoll, Bud Grant, Joe Gibbs, Don Shula, Mark Levy, George Allen, Hank Strom, uh, Fritz Pollard, John Madden, Bill Parcells, Tony Dungy, Bill Cowart, Jimmy Johnson, Tom Flores, and the most recent last year, Dick Vermeil was inducted in 2022. There we go. I was about to say, if Dungy and you brought up good one with Cower were not in the Hall of Fame, I think we've made it a little too difficult at that point. Because <laughs> the, the bar is too high. Because look, I, I we I broached the subject. I'll broach it even a little deeper now. The all three major sports have very different takes on who gets in the Hall of Fame. I feel like Major League Baseball and and NFL are, are more similar to each other. They're a little more difficult to get into. Major League Baseball has this awful voting process. People know nothings can not fill out their ballot at all with a singular name and retain their right and I, I just, that's weird I don't like that NFL usually tempers its class and don't let a, 20 people get in each year but reliably several people are getting in every year I think the NFL may be even a little bit easier than Major League Baseball because just what the riders are doing with the steroid era and that sort of thing and the NBA oh, if you play basketball for a period of time at a level of which is respectable you make the in the, the pro basketball hall of fame there's guys that are just like good for five years and they've got oh you know what he might be a hall of famer i'm hearing conversations about like andrew wiggins being a hall of famer even though andrew wiggins is like a great what great finals helped the warriors tremendously but people just thought he was a bust three years ago two years ago and now he had one good year and they're like hey, you know what he's a champion it's on a good team. Scores a lot of points. Eh, why not? Why not? So everyone and their brother gets into the, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, and I'm glad to know that there are actual head coaches. But the moral of that story, doubling back, no Ditka as a coach, only as a player. Two Super Bowl wins. Interesting. Uh, we're pretty pretty darn sure. Uh, well, no, we are sure. Belichick's going to get in. Of the current coaches, what we like, Andy Reid? Yeah, I think there's going to be a Tomlin? Yeah, Tomlin. Yeah. Tomlin, I feel like, is more definite than Reid at this point, just given what he's done consistency-wise with the Steelers over his career. Um, Who's the guy who just retired from the Buccaneers? What was his name Bruce again? Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians. Do you think Arians did well enough, long enough? 
good career, probably not though. Nah. He right. was he had a good run with Cardinals, but it's again it's we're talking five six years and then three years with Tampa. Not just not enough time. He was an assistant for most of his career. I was gonna say, and, and that same conversation, someone that's you know has a Super Bowl, but you may you know you're like oh maybe he he had a good run in his first job, but he's it, it's been and his second job is Mike McCarthy. It's oh, a guy that no. he had a he had a good run at the Packers, and then unless he can do something spectacular with the Cowboys, because eh? you know I'm, I'm just, Joe Bartle, if he heard that sentence, would would just be flipping out right now. <laughs> our our favorite Wednesday guest, Joe Bartle of Rotowire, does Green, not like Mike McCarthy. We've talked at, about that before. At, at, he's got a co- total head coaching record of one forty seven and ninety three, which is right. kind of on par with what Ditka had, but Ditka's not in the Hall right. of Fame. And so I, you know, it would take at least one Super Bowl with the Cowboys, maybe two, to get him in there. Because he didn't, you know, he won the NFC North quite a bit when they were when he was with the Cowboys, not the Cowboys, the the Packers. Um, I hear you tend to do that though with Rogers slash Favre, <laughs> most of their coaches, because now they're they're running it up every year with Lafleur, and now Lafleur is getting questioned just because they're three and three all of a sudden. If if he hasn't, if he gets another Super Bowl, maybe. Um, uh, who's uh, the, the Rams coach? Um, McVay. Sean McVay. Yeah, Sean McVay. Maybe. McVay's one that's he's so young. He's got say, like, you, you feel like he's there. at the very at the very most like halfway through his career. He can coach for a very long time. And yeah, yeah I I don't even think he's halfway done. I think yeah. he has years ahead of him. And you, it, I wonder about some other younger coaches in the NFL. Your Sean They're, McDermott's maybe just if the Bills end up going on to become a dynasty like some people there's just so much turnover now in coaching that you really don't have a a big opportunity to get wins unless you're successful right off the bat i mean you know if if belichick you know let's say belichick got hired two years ago and had these last two years with the patriots there's maybe a chance that he doesn't get returned i mean it, it it's there's just so much volatility in the coaching world now that if if you don't succeed right off the bat, and we saw, you know, what, there was a coach a couple years ago. Was it Cleveland that had a coach for a year and fired him? Yeah. Oh, that's starting to happen. And so it's fairly almost every single year now in the NFL. Someone. So it's like one year. there's a good crop of young coaches, but it, as if they've got one bad year, that's the the NFL is so like we've got to win right now. They could get they, they could be a really good coach, but if you've got one bad year, you've got the potential to lose your job that year. Yeah, no, and that, that's that's sports because there's just so much more money involved than there used to be. I mean, sports have always been something that people have liked, but now just I mean, we're, we're leagues are signing yeah. billion dollar CBAs. Players are now making forty, fifty, sixty million a year. Coaches making double digits a year. I mean, the the professional level it's obviously exploded. It's exploding in college. I mean, obviously player. I mean, players are starting to get paid in various ways. Uh, coaches' salaries are are going way up. Um, we just we were just looking at uh, again. I used this example not too long ago, but uh, the example of Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. The first deal he signed at Ole Miss was like four million a year, and then his extension he signed last year was like seven or went eight. And I know he succeeded. There's some things to that, but I mean, almost doubled at a program not known to be a top half paying SEC job. So I, I think you're right. There is we. we on the pendulum swings and you usually have to swing back the other way right now we're starting to swing in a direction where there's not enough patience in, in some regards uh i talked about this a lot with someone like mike Krzyzewski who you know jj would be able to speak a lot to this i mean 
his first three or so years at Duke, I mean, that, if that happens today, he's just not around anymore. Now, granted, the context is different, not only because of the time period, but because Duke was not Duke back then. But his first three or so years, I mean, you look at it, there was just nothing there to suggest he was not only going to be a great coach, he was going to be around for much longer. So that that is that is becoming that kind of resilient story of a coach struggling for the first couple of years and then turning it around does not happen very often. I was going to uh, going on, you know, what what got us to this kind of area is Mike Ditka, 1980 he he took over his first year coaching was 1982 for the Bears. 1981 the Bears went 6 and 10. His first year they went 3 and 6. Mm. That like you've got the potential if he's coaching nowadays you go down by 3 wins. In your first year, you email like, no, this isn't going to work. Wait, so he went three and thirteen in the second. Wait, no, I said, think that was a lockout year, nineteen eighty-two. Okay. Yeah, Not I was sure. going to say six and ten in eighty-one, then three and six, and then he went eight. He expanded up and went eight and eight in his third year, or second year there. Still not some great year though. Yeah, but so like you know, in this time and this day and age, it's like oh, you went down by three wins this year. Maybe this isn't going to work out for us right off the bat, and then you don't have the 106 wins that he accumulated during that time in the Super Bowl. That's fair. How but long do you think a coach like Nathaniel Hackett has left if he keeps losing at the clip that he does right now? It, while we're on the win now mentality, eight to twelve quarters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're going to fire him at halftime. <laughs> right, right. Let Russell coach the team. <laughs> because, well, I mean, this goes back. I was, the Russell Wilson stuff's just un- incredible because he's being paid. He's getting like he got like a two hundred million dollar contract. They're last in the league in scoring. They can't win specifically because of their offense. They've made weird coaching decisions back to the first game of the year. I, I just. Denver, and they oh and they traded like their first three rounds of draft picks for the next year i think they lost their first second and third at least their first and second and that's a, so there's no, there's no future for that draft class and they have some upset fans right now that's the yeah. one team that i've heard they're falling off TV, the horse yeah while watching tv i've heard broncos fans booing in every single game they've played this season they're not riding anymore there i, I mean <laughs> no let's cry everyone that had that slogan this year by the way regrets it immediately um but yeah, no, I. Th- someone like that. That's a. Per- this is his first year, right? It's or is yeah. this his second year? If it's second year, he's very fired. He's I think incredibly is fired in his first year. I think it's. I think it's but his first year too. If it's his first year, he's still a candidate at the end of this year. If they finish like five and twelve with Russell Wilson, they can't just fire two hundred million dollars. They're going to try and work around Russell Wilson at least another year and see if they can rejuvenate it. They're going to fire the coach. That's what they're going to do. So I, there's some coaches that really deserve the benefit of the doubt. There are some though that they're. I mean, when you're one or two years into it, I mean, it's just it's just kind of what roster were you handed? But <laughs> there's some coaches yeah, like he Nathaniel Hackett who was handed a roster that needed to compete for at the bare minimum a playoff spot this year. You didn't have to win the West. You got the Chiefs. Mahomes is going to be around a long time. Everyone loves Herbert, as they should, even though he struggled last night. And even the Raiders were a playoff team last year. So I don't expect you to figure it out immediately to the nth degree. But you also can't score, I don't know, 15 points a game. You paid $250 million to Russell Wilson to average. I think it is 16 a game. Yeah. That's, that's not sustainable. No. 
And again, what would be frustrating is that you have a defense that is perfectly capable of taking you wherever you want to go. I mean, they could have easily won both the Colts and the Chargers game with just a singular drive that was competent in the fourth quarter. Just like a drive. Not even a touchdown, just a drive. <laughs> 40 yards. Kick a field goal. Be happy. I saw the, I saw the, uh, the last three drives for the Broncos all went run, run, incompletion. Yeah. Uh, those were their last three drives of the game. They, they went three and out three times in a row on run, run, incomplete pass. And you have a guy, and look, I don't blame it because I'm watching how Russell Wilson is playing, but also you paying that player $200 million over five, six, seven years, whatever, that's not how, what you should be doing. Like in a per, like you should be using the two hundred million dollar yeah, guy absolutely to to get you down the field. Didn't they attempt like a 66, 60 something yarder earlier this season on a fourth and one instead of letting Russell? Wilson yeah, I think that ball? that was the uh, that was the first week of the year. I think against was that against Seahawks. Denver? Yeah, against, Se- against Seattle. Yep. And uh, Seattle flew in that one, and Denver fell off the horse. But anyway. Let's go ahead and take our first break of our number two. On the other side, we'll go back to our Auburn Bank phone line. Retired Ward AMC will join the program. That is next. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call. You're in Tiger 95.9. Whoa. My name is Ryan LaVoy, if I can say that correctly. Yeah. I'm joined by Brooks Shelters, Brent Dothry, Drew Behenna today. Filling in for JJ. He's on his way to Knoxville. He's got best man late. duties. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I made the joke. No one chuckled. It was fine. I made the joke that he was going up there to assess the damages on oh, the weekend, but... Big uh, you know. big matchup for the Vols this weekend. UT Martin coming to town. Big in-state rivalry in-state there. Rival, yeah. Auburn Junior. Auburn's mini-me. I think I saw a stat where Tennessee's played th- – again, I, if this might not be – the second part of it's accurate. I don't know what the first part. It's like three top 25 teams or four or three top 15 teams. I don't know. But they played at least three ranked opponents, and they've only punted three combined times in those three games. Uh, that's a winning football. I don't know right if there. anyone else saw that stat. But. They've played four ranked opponents. I don't have their punts at the moment. But I know I don't think they punted against Alabama. They had a couple times they got stopped on fourth down, and they had, or maybe one time they got stopped on fourth down. They had a couple turnovers that fumble where they just put it on the deck, and, and Bama ran it back, but. Uh, I don't think they punted in that game. Uh, again, a lot of credit to Josh Heupel's offense. All right, let's go back to the 
Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-34 and locally, toll-free, 888-9-TIGER-9. Ward Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? Hey, much better. Uh, Ryan, uh, you know, misery loves company, so welcome back, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. I, uh, you have my condolences uh, to your team. Uh, you had to uh, endure that in person, right? Uh, I did not go to Pittsburgh uh, for that game. That game was in Pittsburgh. If you're talking about the oh, Bucks Steelers right. okay. game, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I so, thought it was a home game. Okay. Next uh, next painful watch will be uh, next Thursday when they, they play Baltimore. Well, now, you know, let's, let's, don't, let's don't become, you know, a fortune teller. You know, let's don't do that. <laughs> okay, you, you never know. Sure. Uh, you were talking about the uh, uh, abysmal uh, offensive performance last night. I didn't watch the game, but I read the, the high, saw the video highlights. And it reminds me, you know, of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, some guy that I really joke about who go to bar, and they both want to score, but they just don't know how. Well, that sounds like what happened last night. You know, both teams wanted to score, but they just didn't know how to do it, right? Yeah, and what's, you know, the Chargers have a good offense. Justin Herbert's a good quarterback. Uh, they've got some wide receivers pretty good. But the issue for them is that they were playing an excellent defense. Denver's defense is, is, is really good. The flip side of that was the Chargers' defense is fine. It's nothing to write home about, but the Broncos' offense is horrible. And so it was just perfect storm of, uh, you know, Broncos having that great defense that can slow down a good offense and then uh, okay defense that's enough to hold up against a bad offense. And it was, it was, I think it was 13 10 at half, and I got kind of optimistic. It looked like a real football game, and then it was six to three scoring wise in the second half. Yeah, that was a bad beat if you had the over. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so moving on. Well, I want to go around the world in sports. Uh, I see where, um, Let's see, the Yankees are winning 4-1 to right now in the third inning. Is that right? That is correct. We've got it on in the studio. Okay, all right. Um, does it look like the Yankees are probably going to take it? Uh, they're in good position, too. Their bullpen is not as good as Cleveland's in, in large part, so the Yankees really going to want to get as much out of their starters as they can. But obviously you have a 4-1 lead at home. You expect to hold on to that lead. Okay. Well, sticking with uh, baseball, something rather remarkable that has never been done, may probably never be done, occurred today. Uh, in 1977, and uh, it, it happened by a guy who uh, you probably well know, called himself Mr. October. Reggie Jackson. Yes, uh, uh, and rather surprisingly, uh, when asked about his, uh, I'll tell you what he did on this day, uh, he, he said uh, about his uh, strings of uh, home runs, he said, uh, Babe Ruth was great, he said, I'm just lucky. Interesting. Well, you're not lucky when you do this. Here's what he did on the thing, guys. He hit three home runs in consecutive first pitches. Oh, jumped on it. Series, the World Series hasn't been done. Probably will not done. You know how difficult that is to do that. Yeah, I mean, the first pitch. Yeah, he did it consecutively three times uh, in the in the World Series. Yeah, no, that is incredibly difficult. Now. The only other person who came close to doing anything like that was Babe Ruth, but he didn't do it in three consecutive at-bats or three consecutive pitches. So that's how difficult that kind of accomplishment is, is to, to have it done. I uh, didn't, know, didn't know this about him. In his 21-year career, Reggie Jackson hit .755 in World Series, slugging. Okay. That's remarkable. And it says here in this corner of the History Channel, no one has ever achieved what he did in 1977. 
three home runs and three swings and five homers in all the World Series that they uh, ended up winning. That's why he was Mr. October. And yet he called himself, I'm just lucky. <laughs> I guess uh, humble, Marshall. yeah. Yeah, pretty humble. All right. Uh, somebody who's not humble and who is, to me, rather uh, conspicuously a cheap person is the president of Tennessee, who actually had the, uh, I don't know, courage or stupidity to ask students and others and students uh, to go fund me uh, to collect, uh, I guess, I wrote $15,000 to replace the goalposts that were taken down. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, it was. Uh, is yeah. that cheap or not, guys? Yes. I mean, this guy can pay cheap. for his own pocket. Yeah. I think he just got. I don't know. It's. I felt like he almost was a joke, but it. I mean, they were clearly raising the money, so it wasn't. But he was trying to make it a joke, like, "Oh, we did this cool thing, and I know you guys carried it. We can't find them, so let's just uh, let's all pinch together and get some new ones." It just. It was not. It's not a big deal. It was, but it was still. Yeah. It was I, say, it. I, I was. I would take. I saw it when I saw it. I took it as a a. A attempt at a good marketing ploy where it's like, oh, you know, we hey guys, we you know tore down the goal yeah. goalpost. Let's fundraise some more money to get it in and try to get some more money for the university. And I, that that's just a marketing department doing uh, doing what they do. It's like, hey, we see an opportunity to try to get some more money for our university. Let's have some fun with this and you know say, hey, let's fund a new goalpost. Okay, I still think it's cheap. Okay, uh, whatever the attempt was, you know, uh, you just. Are paying right now to the SEC a hundred thousand dollar fine. Uh, you can't find uh, fifteen thousand dollars. Well, Steve, okay. every university. You know, did this. I suspect there's been all kind of. Uh, you know, all kind of backlash. Well, uh, Steve, right. I, all, every university finds, uh, you know, some, you know, fun ways to try to raise money. You, you look at, you know, different things. It's like there's so many different – take, take for example, and it's not on the same level, but every year Auburn has Tiger Giving Day, which is, you know, they, they raise money for different campaigns around campus that are very small amounts. Now, you would think, oh, well, Auburn University can find the money to fund those programs, but it's a fun way to, you know, get people involved and, you know, try to raise some more money for the school and get p- other get the community I'm okay involved. With that, Brooks, I'm okay with that, but this is about replacing something that had been torn down. Okay, uh, wow. Okay, well, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, now, Luke, who was on here yesterday, yeah, I know you weren't uh, uh, right on that, but uh, he was making all uh, kind of observations about the other game and the officiating. The officiating uh, is uh, rather inconsistent throughout the SEC, to put it mildly. Um, what? I don't think Luke brought this up. That led to, uh, I think, part of it led to to, to lost Island number was they had 17 penalties. That to me is uncharacteristic of a disciplined uh, Saban uh, Alabama football team. Has 17 penalties. Yeah, and that's something that you saw in the Texas game too. And obviously, I, I don't. Someone's going to pull us into this. I'm going to not get into it right now. There's a lot of debate about the penalties and all that in the Alabama Tennessee game. But what I will say is. Alabama committed a lot of penalties against Texas too. Um, when they when they've been on the road, they've been a less disciplined team, and that's come in different shapes and sizes these last two years. But obviously, you know when you make seventeen penalties, yes, a lot of them are in the field of play, pass interference, and that sort of thing. But they also had a lot of procedure penalties too, which right. is more indicating of of a team that's just not as airtight, not as focused as you would expect them to be. Yeah, I don't recall you know typical Alabama championship teams, especially. Uh, having those kind of egregious penalties 
uh, in one game. Uh, so I just thought I'll bring that up as possible explanation for their loss as well. And then, you know, that ball, uh, that, that field goal at the end, I just see was partly touched from what I read by an Alabama player who apparently was going over some uh, balls of backs, right? Yeah, so two things in that. One, it could have been called for leverage, uh, leveraging yourself to jump over another player. Uh, again, not a big deal. Not trying to get into the weeds of, of every call and non-call. Uh, but secondly, yes, he, he got in the in the backfield, and it does appear, I agree with you, I, I've looked at this closer, it kind of looks like it did brush off a finger, and it kind of redirected the right way. It might have actually been going wide. It's too hard to tell with just 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 off the foot like it was but it certainly changed a little bit direction so it was very interesting to look at that that's why it was such a wounded duck looking rotation as it just barely cleared from 40 yards out right just barely clear because i saw the replay on it. i said wow i just barely but do you have any explanations to what might be the reason that a flag wasn't thrown oh i don't know steve it, there there's so many again there's a lot of calls that Bama feels like they should have gotten. There's still a couple things that Tennessee feels like they should have gotten. I don't know. I just know that the field goal went in. Uh, that's all I know. All right. Moving on. Uh, have you seen Kirk Herbstreit's uh, top four, uh, so far top four playoff uh, contenders? I missed that this week. Okay. So, uh, number one, Ohio State. This one surprised me. Number two, Tennessee. Sure. Number three, Georgia. Yep. Number four, Michigan. And five and six, five is Clemson, Alabama, number six. Uh, your thoughts, agree with those uh, so far or not? Uh, Tennessee's resume is really good. We were, we were just talking uh, on the other side of this break about the various ranked teams Tennessee's beaten this year. Their resume is really good. I think that if you – um, looked at them in a vacuum and you did not think of prior perception of these teams, I think you would put Tennessee above Georgia. I think you actually make an argument for Tennessee to be number one as well. Um, so, no, I'm not really surprised. And the great news for us, the fan, is uh, those, those scenarios, two versus three, one versus four, they will literally be played in the regular season this year. Right. Now, what happens, guys? Uh, could it be possible that three SEC teams could be in the playoffs what happens if Georgia beats Tennessee, Georgia goes to the SEC championship game, and Tennessee's only losses to Georgia, right. but then Georgia loses to Alabama, who lost to Tennessee in the regular season? Yeah, I mean, it's going. Some, they're going to have to draw a line somewhere on that. I mean, you're going to have to pick, pick an order to that, and then it will come down to what happened in the other conferences because if there's an undefeated Power 5 champ, like Clemson, obviously like Ohio State or Michigan, they're still going to get in over uh, a one-loss team that did not win their conference, in my estimation, especially with those brand names. Now, you could make, you could start to wonder about someone like UCLA. I know UCLA still got a brand, but you can wonder because they're coming from such a far-back position and the Pac-12 is perceived a little weaker than some of these other Power Fives. You can make an argument that that one-loss SEC team would get over the undefeated Pac-12 champ, but at least in the case of the of, of Clemson and in the case of Ohio State slash Michigan, I don't think you'd get three SEC teams in that scenario. Okay, well, that's why I think we need the the 12 team playoff that they already are saying is going to be put into effect. So, uh, uh, Ryan, I know you weren't on the show yesterday. Uh, Brooks, I don't think you were either, were you? No, I sure wasn't. Okay, but I'm sure you heard 
Jason Caldwell's comments, or I expect, uh, at the very end, he troubling comment to me, and I said it. You know, I said, no, 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 uh, trying to imitate uh, Steve Carell's office on uh, no comments. Uh, when he said that there is a possibility that uh, the new AD is sitting down interviewing uh, Coach Hawson, that they might retain him. And I'm saying, well, anything's possible, but how plausible is that? Especially when I've been reading from Jason Caldwell, Philip Marshall, at least in the past week or two, that it's a done deal, not if, but when. And now we're going to talk about possibly this could be extended to a third year. I'm saying, oh my God, under what uh, under what you know uh, justification could that uh, possible? Could could that be possible, guys? Under what justification? That the AD doesn't want to stake his reputation on hiring a football coach year one, maybe. And I, I'm not saying that's that's a as a good excuse, but if you get hired, and no, I want plausible. I want plausible defense, not easy. <laughs> I mean, you you see, you know, like you know, you've said, uh, or like people, you know, people have said, you've looked at this football team. You've got the talent there, and they have not quit on the foot on the on the team. They have not quit on the coaching yes, staff. They've regressed. They've regressed. But they they have looks. they have regressed, and that that's uh, you know, it's very very obvious. But you know, if, if you're an AD and you're coming, you come in, and they you know they say, hey, your first task is to evaluate the football program. You know, you from the outside looking in, you say, you know, definitely, you, you, this needs to make a change. But it, if you're an AD and that is, you know, that you're being hired and your first task is to evaluate the football program, do you and do you really want to stake your, you know, your first year as, you know, if, if it your first year as an AD at Auburn on getting the football coach right when you are going from such a, you know, a rocky time transitioning from Malzahn into Harson. Yes, because an AD is chosen why to make tough decisions, and uh, I throw this at you. If I was interviewing Coach Harson as AD, I'd say, "Okay, Coach Harson, here, here's the facts." Uh, uh, from outside of uh, the, the Auburn, you know, family, uh, your program uh, has shown no really improvement. Actually, uh, a lack of improvement, and the lack of improvement is first the performance of the team on the field. Uh, you are on a trajectory of possibly having a second losing season, more than likely, okay? Uh, your, your defense has regressed considerably from last year, with essentially the same people. Uh, your recruiting is not what we Steve, expect. Steve, can, uh, I, can I interrupt you? Can I interrupt you? Please. Everybody in this room thinks that Brian Harson will be gone before the start of next football season. And none of us, also, none of us have control over when that decision gets made. I'm just throwing out facts that Jason Caldwell, you know, says it's possible. Well, how can the world be possible when I throw out these facts to you, Coach Harson? You know, uh, you're ranked 48th right now in recruiting rankings, okay? Um, and that's not acceptable at Auburn, okay? Uh, next, well, let's do apples to apples comparison. You're in your final uh, second year, okay? Uh, let's look at the coach call, Coach Heupel over Tennessee. It's his second year. Uh, he has a high recruiting ranking, and by the way, he just finished uh, beating uh, Alabama, and so far, uh, they're doing a lot better than you are, Coach Harson. Uh, well, what are we looking at here, guys? Yeah, you're preaching to the the choir here, Steve, and none of, none of us are disagreeing with well, you. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to find right. a plausible, you know, uh, possible, plausible, you know, explanation for, okay, I'll give you another year, because that really, I mean, that... The, that shook me when I heard 
Jason Caldwell say yesterday, that's a possibility. A possibility, uh, please uh, don't even think it. Yeah, I, I mean, know what he was coming well, hey, It just goes back to like what I what I said. It, it it if the AD, you know, like you said, the ADs are hired to make the tough decisions. Yes, they are. But if you come in and you're it's your first year in AD, and you 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 may not want to stake your your uh, your career first year at Auburn on getting the football coach right. Last thing for us, Steve, and then we need to get to our next caller. Okay. I wish they would hire me for one day to be the AD, and I get rid of the entire coaching staff. So, uh, with that said, on a uh, lighter note, uh, gee, at least this weekend we don't uh, have to watch Auburn lose. Yep, Auburn off this week, notably. That's right. Uh, a team I wouldn't want to be though this week would be Mississippi State. Yep, they've got to play Alabama in, in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Uh, good luck on that outcome. All right, with that, guys, hey, thank you for letting me uh, ramble, and uh, the, the, the therapy was very much uh, very much appreciated. Uh, so with that, you guys have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, I'll see if I can be on a much more optimistic mood tomorrow. Well, we appreciate the phone call, Steve. War Eagle, guys. War Eagle. That is retired War Damn Steve joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Let's go ahead and go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line now. James from Montgomery. James joins us. James, how are you doing? I'm good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about this uh, Coach Brian Harson story. And just like from uh, what Steve actually said, um, I was looking at it earlier, and they just said that Coach Harson would uh, be fired sometime, I think, in mid-November, if I'm if I'm correct on that as well. So I'm, I'll probably look at it and um, and see if that's correct, just to see if things might turn out for Coach Harson between now and the middle of November. So I think this will be a tough time for our new athletics director to make those changes come from out of the darkness to to actually letting all the Auburn fans know that this is uh, Coach Harson's last time riding with Auburn as well. And I think next year in 2023, I think we need a new uh, a new coaching staff. We need um, new recruiting and other things as well for 2023 and beyond for the football program as well. I think a lot of people agree with that, James. And uh, as far as the November report, I think that's just a potential timeline. No no firm mm-hmm. decision. But uh, certainly when the season ends at the end of November, we would expect a, d- a decision at that time. Yes. And then I know uh, from Steve, I know he was talking about the uh, Tennessee incident that happened with the goalposts. I mean, that was not – that for the fans in Tennessee, I think that was something that they planned out for uh, – for a whole week before up to the game. So I think that was not in, I should say like, that's not good sportsmanship to your university or to your school. So, I mean, why would they want to take down the goalposts? I mean, if, if we done that in Auburn, I mean, we, we, we've done that in the past, you know, when, when Auburn and Alabama actually played in the 1982 Iron Bowl. And I can, you know, I can relate to that because I, I mean, that, tearing down the goalpost, that was, you know, when we played against Alabama in Legion Field, that was the same, that was the same, uh, that was the same um, backstory that happened with us in the 1982 Iron Bowl. 
Yeah, well, so, yeah, I think uh, Tennessee, obviously, they did get fined by the SEC because the SEC does view that as unsportsmanlike. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't think too many people uh, were too upset with them overall. It's kind of understandable. It had been a long time that since Tennessee had beaten Alabama. And, mm-hmm. uh, and and that sort of thing is usually what makes college football pretty cool, the rushing the field and, and the occasional uh, goalposts tearing down. Yeah, because when um, when Tennessee actually won that game, I looked at the um, results after that game, um, like that week they showed it on. I think it was like the SEC Network. They were talking about it, and I looked at the the um, season that Tennessee actually beat Alabama. I think it was like nineteen. 16, 19, 17, somewhere around in there. And that Tennessee and Alabama has played longer than that. They played for a long time. I don't know what exact year uh, they they started the rivalry, but the the third Saturday mm-hmm. in October has been uh, a game that's been played each every year for a long time, regardless of divisions and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, because whenever time when they do like the uh, college football history of different schools, they do on the SEC network. They do um, like college football, like 150 years of college football. They have like different uh, different episodes, and when they came up to the rivalries, and after they done, it's like in different episodes they done the rivalries, and then they done the voices of the SEC. Um, games that that people that you know the announcers that have been calling so many games over the years i know when they actually did the voices of the sec i know one voice in particular that was staying to the test of time is uh jim fife if you're not uh out, if you're not an auburn fan and you have never heard jim fife um iconic you know way he actually paints a picture for auburn i mean it's a really moment it's a good moment in auburn football history that will stand to the to the test of time as well i looked up the uh, tennessee alabama rivalry it appears 1901 in birmingham Mm. is the first time tennessee and alabama played okay so i was close to it i was like a little bit off. yeah you were close yeah hmm? yeah you were very close yeah, because I mean, I, I look at like some of these rivalries, and I look at the history, and I look at uh, highlights from certain uh, rivalries that in the SEC has been played. So you know, we we do have off week this weekend. So next weekend we play Arkansas at home. So this will be Arkansas and Alabama. I think like I don't know how many times we played Arkansas at Jordan Hare Stadium. I think the last time that we played them was 1988, if I'm correct on that one. Well, no, they would they would have played uh, 20, in Auburn in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, that was the 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 game that Bo Nix fumbled but didn't fumble. Oh, okay, yes, because I, I think I remember that one in twenty twenty. I, I think I remember that one as well. And um, this was going to be a really good off week for Auburn as well. And I know we're not playing anybody this week, so I'm looking at Mississippi State, Texas A and M. Uh, Western Kentucky and Alabama. Uh, no, Alabama has off week, right? No, they're playing Mississippi State. Okay, so I'll be watching Alabama. I'll be watching Mississippi State, Western Kentucky, Alabama, and Texas A&M. So I'll be watching those four those four teams actually, and seeing who will um, how we're going to stop these four teams as well. And um, I will be for the Auburn Alabama game in Tuscaloosa for the first time ever. So I'm hoping that um, I, I really don't want to see T.J. Finley out there. I might see Zach Calzada. Well, I know he's still in injury protocol, so I'll probably see somebody else um, being in the quarterback's 
uh, position than um, uh, Robert Ashford, I meant. Yeah, I think it will continue to be Robbie Ashford unless there is an injury. Holden Gurner's the other guy that would factor uh-huh. into playing time potentially. Uh, Finley seems to be getting healthy. He did play a drive against Ole Miss. It did not go well. Uh-huh. He did not return. Seems a little gimpy, honestly, as he as he ran off. Um, uh-huh. So I really don't know fin- how close to 100% Finley is, but – um, you know, if he's 100%, I suppose he would be the backup, but I think they have every intention of, of continuing on with Robbie Ashford. Yes, and then with the opening of the NBA um, tip-off that's tonight, I have the Golden State Warriors actually beating the Los Angeles Lakers tonight and um, would see the ring ceremony tonight and seeing if they're going to make it to the NBA Finals this year as well. Yeah, I'm very excited for the start of the NBA. We'll be talking some NBA next hour a little bit Mm -hmm. about some of the Auburn guys playing in the NBA this year. But, uh, yeah, ring night is always a special night and looking forward to watching Mm -hmm. the the Warriors and the Lakers. Yes, actually, as well. And then uh, coming up, not this November, but for next year in 2023, did you see about the NFL? They're actually adding a new – a new schedule to Black Friday on to Black Friday in 2023 schedule for next year for uh, next Thanksgiving. So they're going to have four brand new games for Thanksgiving in 2023 on um, Black Friday before um, the week of Thanksgiving as well. Yeah, so I think they'll have four games in the aggregate between Thanksgiving and Black Friday because they'll have three on Thanksgiving and one on Black Friday, which will air on Amazon. But you're right. I meant to bring that news up today, James, so I'm glad you did. But uh, next next year, as you said, 2023, a Friday Black Friday game uh, mm-hmm. will be in the NFL. It'll be one game on Amazon. Yeah, so I think with with the with the season already winding down, I think this is going to, with week six behind us, we're looking at week seven. So uh, week six is still a bye week for most uh, tendency owners as well. So uh, week six is still a bye week. So week seven starts this uh, Sunday as well. And it's going to be a it's going to be a tough road for my Dallas Cowboys actually. So we got to play this weekend, this Sunday coming in. We play the Detroit Lions. We go up to Detroit, so that's going to be uh, it. Might be in a good um, uh, quarterback change from Cooper Rush to Dak Prescott. So I've heard news on the NFL Network that Cooper uh, that uh, Dak Prescott he's 100 percent, so he's ready for uh, Sunday's uh, matchup with the Detroit Lions as well. Yeah, and that will that will be in Dallas. So Dallas will get to host the Lions and uh should be a, a classic matchup for sure. Uh last mm-hmm. final thoughts for us, James, before we have to end this hour. Well, actually, the final thoughts I have is I would like to see the New York Yankees actually go to the World Series this year. So I think they're right now. They're winning as I speak right now. They are. We've got it on in the studio. They're winning 4-1 to one in the fifth inning. Yeah, so they will be playing the winner for Wednesday between the Philadelphia Phillies or the San Diego Padres. So I'll just probably keep that um, for Thursday's show as well. Yeah, the the Phillies and Padres will play a best four out of seven series, but the Yankees move on to play the Houston Astros if they're able to win. The winner of this Yankees-Guardians game will play the Houston Astros starting tomorrow. Okay, so I'll probably wait until that one as well, and then I'll tell you all who won that game on Wednesday for uh, Thursday's uh, show as well. Please do, James. We appreciate the phone call as always, man. We hope you have a great day. 
All right, sounds good. And I'll uh, take the uh, Auburn and Arkansas trivia on Thursday. Sounds good. We will give that to you. All right, thanks, and uh, War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. We are out of time for hour number two. When we come back, more of your phone calls in hour number three. As well, as promised, we'll look at the NBA. We'll look at the landscape of the Auburn guys in the NBA as the National Basketball Basketball Association tips off tonight. And we'll continue to talk each and everything in the world of sports. This is the Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Final hour of Sports Call today on this Tuesday afternoon. We've had a lot of fun. My name is Ryan Lavoy with Brant Daughtry, Drew Behenna, and Brooks Childress. Fun show so far, filling in for J.J. Jackson, who, again, will not be with the program the rest of the week. He has best man duties for his brother. Congratulations early to Elijah Jackson. I'm just upset that I wasn't invited. Yeah. I, I didn't get – none of us got the invite. Yeah. Either, so. yeah. Understand, I don't. I think I've met e- Eli once, maybe. Probably more fair so, there. Yeah. yeah. But uh, nevertheless, so that's where J.J. will be the – rest of the week so we will continue to handle things back here and again like i said one more hour to go and let's kick it off by going back to the auburn bank phone line 334-887-341 locally toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine next up david from smith station david how are you doing doing good how are you doing well uh i want to talk about coach harson uh today uh sure you know, I hear a lot of different people uh, talking about, you know, we need to go on and get rid of him. Uh, how bad of a job he's doing in recruiting and this, that, and other. And, uh, you know, I think he was handicapped from the get-go because I, I was reading an article uh, about how much money Alabama spent on recruiting in Georgia and Auburn, and I was wondering if this was true, but they said Alabama spent something like two point seven million. Georgia spent like two point two or two point three million, and Auburn spent six hundred thousand dollars. How is he supposed to recruit when they only given him six hundred thousand dollars to recruit against the likes of Texas A and M, Alabama, Georgia, these schools? 
they they spent way more money than what Auburn's uh, spending. It's like they don't want him to uh, do a good job recruiting, so they can use that for an excuse to fire him. Uh, is those numbers correct? Well, I don't know. I don't know if each number is correct, but what I can tell you is we know that the the board of trustees, the the money guys at Auburn have have never really liked Brian Harson. They've never um, tried to support him really in his journey to try and succeed here. I will say that you know Auburn is used to not having the same resource level that at least Alabama has, and maybe Texas A&M to some degree. Um, Auburn still has a lot of resources, relatively speaking, to, to most schools. Uh, but budget-wise, they usually would. I, I would not. I'm not surprised if they come in below Alabama or Georgia or even Texas A&M with all the oil money they have. That's no no secret well, in Texas. The, uh, with our uh, what IRA on what they call it, our uh, with that huge where the players can get paid from the boosters and uh, nil. Yes. Yes. Yeah, how are they going to recruit if they only uh, they spending six hundred thousand and these other? I don't know what Texas A and M spent, but compared to you know two million dollars, that's a lot of money. So and, you know, and I think that's why maybe some of these kids ain't coming to Auburn. So the recruiting budget that you're talking about, that six hundred thousand, is devoted to uh, sending coaches out. Um, as far as like giving them on on uh, plane rides and things like that. Um, the but that's in, still the, compared to these other schools. No, absolutely, I mean, absolutely, big, you're a, right. That's a big difference. I mean, absolutely. And, but they're trying to blame Harson, but you know, if you don't have the money to do it, and then they're complaining that uh, I read or heard where they were talking about Will Friend and a couple more and wouldn't hardly leave the university. Well, if they're not giving them the money to go out and do it, they ain't gonna. They're not gonna pay for the plane tickets out of their pockets. They're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna spend their money to go out and recruit. Right. Well, I it's mean, it's not even that? The, it's not even that they're not go, getting on planes and going anywhere. It's that they won't get in their cars and drive to uh, Columbus, Georgia. You know, in places like that where where it's an easy thirty minute drive. That's the bigger complaint, and also. The recruiting budget that you're bringing up and the NIL budget that Auburn is working with are, are two different numbers. So what the players are getting directly does not come out of that pool of 600000 Well, but they didn't really start uh, taking no money up to just a few months ago. I mean, Auburn right. back behind on that. Yeah, absolutely. Auburn is very much behind. Auburn is very much behind on NIL. That's exactly right. But, you know, they're trying to blame Harrison for it. He's not, you know, I think they need to give the man a fair chance, uh, you know, because if the next man they bring in here, if they don't give him some kind of uh, full control or more control than they're giving horses or giving the resources, they'll be changing coaches every two years because they ain't willing to give nobody more in two years' time. Yeah, no, I mean, I, everyone – Everyone agrees. We all agree that that you've got to give a head coach full control. Everyone agrees with that. I think we also all agree that that's not been the case in prior years, at least the last few few years here. And yeah, that that's absolutely something that that's a must when you're when you're talking about a program and and you you that's can't. That's why Kirby Smart didn't come here. Right. Exactly. They would, they wouldn't give him full control. And look what he did over there at Georgia. Yep, and it's <laughs> incredibly unfortunate. Yep. All right, I just want to get that off my chest. Sure, David. We appreciate the phone call. That's David from Smith Station joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. 
and definitely agree there at the end. I really agree with all of it. I mean, Auburn is going to be towards the top in resources, towards the top in finances, but they're probably never going to be the top, the absolute top. And that's something that you've got to work around. Still, the point would remain if you're just comparing again, you're comparing two years of it, smaller sample size. But the recruiting that Harson has done, though, is still so much worse than Malzahn or Chiswick, for that matter. Yeah. Tuberville, it's harder to gauge just because recruiting was not as big of a deal in the early 2000s when he's getting going. It, it really starts to hit off there maybe mid-2000s or so. That's when all the services start to fire up online and we start getting all these different companies. And even, even now, we're still getting bigger and bigger. People are doing NIL valuations now and that sort of thing. But, but even Tuberville's classes would still rank more favorably of what we've got than what Brian Harsons do. So the point remains... Even with you know falling behind on NIL and you know not having maybe the same sort of support that is normal of a new head coach, it was st- it's still been a pretty stark contrast to what Auburn was and has been recruiting wise. Yeah, the other part of Auburn not having a the NIL budget that it should is Harson's not really pushing for that. Harson does not from what. From what people have reported, again, I'm, I'm going off of what other people have said about the man that I have never met. Uh, he is he is not willing to use NIL in the same way that other schools are. And if that is the case, you're going to fall behind. There is no greater recruiting tool than NIL, than NIL is right now. And from what I've heard, he is not willing to use it as a pitch. He's said, yeah, we've got NIL. We'll get you your NIL deals. But he's not going to use that as a recruiting tool. And if Auburn loses a guy, he doesn't want to hear NIL as a reason why. Uh, and, and so that is – Brian Harson is not – I said this a couple of times on the show now. Two things can be true at once. Brian Harson is not getting the full support of the boosters. He has not gotten – the university is not behind him as much as it should be. And until the university gets behind a head coach, Brian Harson or otherwise, they're not going to be successful. But Brian Harson has not done himself a lot of huge favors. He has not put himself in the best position to earn that favor. So – I, I think it's just a bad situation that Auburn is in right now. Uh, I think Brian Harson is a good football coach. I don't. He's not a great recruiter, and in the SEC, you've got to be a great recruiter. Uh, and Brian Harson is just not. He's he's not good at it. He doesn't have a whole lot of help. And, and when you're not good at something and no one's helping with you, it, excuse me. If you're not good at something and no one's going to help you with it, then it's going to be bad. It's just going to be bad. Yeah, and I think look when we talk about control. And one of the things when Harson got hired that was very important, and it was kind of the things that we feel like in hindsight, maybe the board or, or someone else higher up did control, is that they wanted SEC guys to be important staff members. It's why Bobo was the offensive hire at OC. It's why Mason was the defensive hire. You had other Auburn guys obviously involved because the reality is it was always going to be a potential problem of a guy that, really most of his career has been nowhere near the SEC to then all of a sudden go and recruit well in the South when you've got all these long-standing relationships with Nick Saban and with Kirby Smart. Heck, even Lane Kiffin's a guy that's been around this area for a long time, whether it was the one year at Tennessee, sure, but it was multiple years at Alabama's OC. It was Florida Atlantic, which is still decidedly in the SEC country, even at a smaller level in the state of Florida, and then going to Ole Miss now for a couple years like these guys have well-standing relationships and at the end of the day that's what recruiting is about it's about relationships 
relationships is about you know sometimes these kids commit because of a position coach that they really love they say oh i love playing for coach t rob you know or some some other some other dude that they just really love playing for and and feel as like a, a father figure that sort of thing you never know where that's going to come from i think that's why tang bigsby's still at auburn because he loves because cadillac he loves cadillac and so you look at the initial staff it was very sec heavy in in certain aspects or at least at the top assistant levels because they felt they would need help recruiting with brian harson and now you you come to find out in year two that harson maybe has not done the groundwork that he should have done in year one with relationships around here and then you factor in that his coordinators are now his guys that also decidedly do not have much experience in this part of the country and those are his top assistants and look the the argument for that was that guys he trusts at a time that he can't trust many people in and it shouldn't have to be about that it shouldn't have to be that way that's that's something where it's it's born out of having to battle a board of trustees or at least having to, to battle the the people with money at auburn the boosters in the offseason some of that can come from that but at the end of the day you then sacrifice even more of the recruiting aspect and there's still a baseline of recruiting people argue all the time i get in this with, with tom all the time on the show is people argue whether malzahn was truly a good recruiter and malzahn had a top 10 class all but two of the years he was at auburn now of course most of those years about three maybe four sec teams beat auburn auburn would be like ninth in the country but georgia bama maybe lsu would be ahead of them maybe it would be a&m on a random year and people still debated if that was good enough recruiting for auburn so certainly a year last year where the auburn's around 20th 24th whatever they shook out at and now is in the 40s and they won't finish in the 40s they they'll they'll recover probably into the 30s or the 20s when they're done because their average star ranking's pretty good and they'll get more but the reality is if you don't think 10th is good enough in this league 20th and 30th sure as hell is not going to be good enough and that's the issue here and that's why it's gotten so much worse and i agree with you brant that it's, it's a lot of different things because or, or a lot of different things can be true because he was never really set up to succeed to the fullest or not the, the most support but also as you said he didn't do himself any favors when you hire your two your two coordinators that you trust i get it i get why they're on your staff but they're not going to help you recruit recruit in this league and, and that's that's kind of what's coming to fruition here we're gonna go take our first break of hour number three on the other side more sports call on this tuesday afternoon May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call.
going through the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app, or, of course, if you're listening after the fact, on the Sports Call podcast. I'm Ryan LaVoy, joined by Brand Daughtry, Brooks Childress, and Drew Behenna here on this Tuesday afternoon. We'll be with you all week as JJ will be doing best man duties for a wedding up in Knoxville. What's left of it? Um, and uh, he will be gone all week so we will be here holding down the fort but uh gonna be a fun fun week throughout the throughout the week and obviously all no no stress for auburn to no preview of auburn football this weekend so i won't have that on the docket but we'll have plenty of sports things to discuss want to remind you that all of our sports call callers and guests join us on the auburn bank phone line auburn bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information your partner your neighbor your friend member fdic equal housing lender give us a call to join sports call at 334-887-341 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine auburn bank is our proud sponsor of the sports call phone line so as promised a little bit earlier in the show want to get uh, to talking a little nba here with the auburn slant on it and the nba starts tonight ring night for the golden state warriors they'll play the los angeles lakers the first game of the season though at 6 30 will be the boston celtics hoping are hosting the philadelphia 76ers but wanted to update you on auburn and the nba it's so nice to be able to say that as bruce pearl's auburn teams have turned out several pros here in the past half a dozen seasons or so and so making initial rosters as of yesterday there were actually six auburn tigers uh unless one got cut that i'm not aware of which i'll get to in a second so for the cleveland cavaliers isaac okoro for the charlotte hornets jt thor the houston rockets jabari smith the utah jazz walker kessler the Orlando Magic, Chuma Okiki. And the one I'm not 100% sure on, but as of yesterday was still in the roster, Sharif Cooper was on was in line to make the Cleveland Cavaliers with his buddy Isaac Okoro. Of course, they never played at Auburn, but both went to McEachern. Both were uh, good friends growing up. Um, so I don't know if, if Cooper made it, but uh, those were the six that as of yesterday were still on track, and I know five of them did make it. So I guess, guys, just want to preview these guys a little bit. Obviously, Jabari Smith is going to grab a lot of the headlines as the number three pick in the draft, so close to being the number one overall pick in the draft, and still a little hurt that it was not to be. But uh, he will be in Houston this year, and we know from his time at Auburn that a lot of people are going to talk about the comparisons to Kevin Durant because of how tall he is. He's got a pretty smooth jump shot, but – Jabari could be a, a truly good two-way player in the NBA. Yeah. I, <laughs> Thoughts? Uh, Con- uh, concerns? I, I'm very anxious to see Jabari Smith in the NBA. He's a legitimate Rookie of the Year candidate, I think, especially with... Um, uh, Paulo Bancaro? Yeah. No, uh, Gonzaga kid. Chet Holmgren is out with, for the yeah, season. Yeah, with Chet Holmgren being out for the season, so that he's the now the second highest draft pick that's going to play this year. Uh, you said it, Jabari Smith. I, I keep going back to like his work ethic, the the way he carries himself. When his jumper is not falling, he is still giving a hundred percent on off on defense. Um, 
and he's doing his best to set up his teammates when his shot isn't going down. So I think he's got a legitimate chance of being great in the NBA. We've seen a lot of guys that have come through Auburn where you go, man, that guy could have a long career. That guy could be pretty good in the NBA. Jabari Smith has a chance to be legitimately great. And we you talked about it, Ryan, earlier. The NBA Hall of Fame is not the hardest to get into if he has a long enough career and his jumper elevates to the point where we think it can. I mean, he's six foot ten. He's got an incredible jump shot. Plays really good defense. He's a good rebounder, especially given his size. Jabari Smith has a chance to be a great NBA player for a long time, and that's something that you haven't seen come out of Auburn since, I don't know, uh, the early 2000s, uh, at the very earliest, with uh, Cliff Chris Porter? Cliff Porter? No. Chris Porter. Chris Porter, yeah. And, and he had some NBA buzz, didn't pan out, but uh, people were excited about him. But uh, Jabari Smith is the type of player that has come out of Auburn that has not come out of Auburn in a long time. And... Uh Drew, I'll turn it to you next. I mean, of these guys, are you most excited to watch Jabari, or is there someone else that improvement-wise that you're looking out for this year? I'm interested to see. Jabari is obvious and probably the right choice, but I really want to see what Walker does this year. Just he, He's going to be playing with some guys more on his level. He had Jabari last year, some guards that know what they're doing, but he's going to be getting set up in the paint by um, – Who's the Jazz point guard? Is it Matthews still? Um, they so they have uh, Mike Conley, and uh, they traded Donovan Mitchell to to Cleveland. Okay. Um, so Conley is their main guy, and then they they made some other acquisitions. NBA yeah. vet, and yeah, yeah I, I'm really excited to see Walker in Utah. And his defensive play got only better as the season went on last year. I expect him to probably have put on a couple of pounds since he's got those NBA nutritionists and is doing those NBA workouts. And, yeah, I think the Jazz, they were a fun team to watch last year, and I'm happy to have another reason to watch them this year with Walker. Brooks, what about you? What are you looking out for for these Auburn guys this year? Uh, the one that I, I really want to see uh, step up a little bit and see what they can do is Chumo Kiki. He's going to be battling for minutes down there at uh, at Orlando. He's he's sitting behind Franz Wagner right now. He's damn good. Um, yeah. He is very good. But uh, you know, the third guy right now is uh, Jonathan Isaac at that position. He's out. He's he's not playing right now. So you, you've got two guys in in. Uh, Franz Wagner and Chumo Kiki, who are uh, he's going to be battling for minutes, but if he can get out there and he's been, you know, he's been battling, he's been himself has been battling injuries uh, during his career. If uh, I want to see a, a season where he comes in and you know he's he's got a full, he has a full season healthy and see what he can do on that court and see if he can battle for a few more minutes down there and see if he can get things turned around. The, the second uh, player is Okoro. I want to see how he expands his uh his his play in, in Cleveland now with them making you know some big moves in the offseason and trying to get better and they were a team last year that you looked at and they were coming in very young and you said well they're they're you know probably going to finish middle of the conference and they they surprised a few teams last year. They beat a few teams they probably shouldn't have last year and so they're they're a young team that's building and building and with the addition of donovan mitchell there at cleveland and you get to play alongside the akora who's really really good on the defensive end of the ball uh, of the court uh, i, I want to see how he develops now as uh, cleveland you can tell is now starting to build up and they're like we need to try to you know tr- start winning a lot more games very soon and see how he fits into that mold here uh, going into this year what is third season in the nba second season it'll be his third Third season? Third or fourth. I'm very interested to see what Okoro does because you touched on it, Brooks. He's an incredible defensive player, and he always has been. 
But there's been talk around Cleveland that I have seen uh, that he's trying to become more of an offensive threat. They have rebuilt his jumper a little bit, and he wants to be more of an outside scoring threat. We know how athletic he is. We know how good he looks when he's driving to the rim, but he wants to become more of that three-level scorer. And I'm interested to see if he can do that this year. That's what Cleveland is pushing, is that he is going to be more of a scoring threat. So I, I'm interested to see if that comes through. And uh, just you know, another quick note: I, I mentioned uh, Chimo Kiki there behind Franz Wagner, but and, and I mentioned uh, I was looking at just pulled up the depth chart here with Jonathan Jonathan Isaac out. He's now the second guy behind Paolo Bancaro too on that depth chart too. So he's gonna be he's got it's gonna be getting some opportunities to come off the bench this year for for the Magic, and so he's got to be able to take advantage of some of those opportunities and prove that hey, I need more court time this year. You know, Kiki has kind of been the one a little more disappointing for me because he has really evolved into just a, a spot-up shooter. He's not really played inside much. And and to be quite frank, he's not been a very good shooter uh, so far in his time in Orlando. He's been in the low 30s for, for most of his time as a three-point shooter. And that, if that's the main thing you do offensively, you need to be better than the low 30s. So this is a really important prove-it year. For Chumo Kiki, the Okoro piece is the most interesting for me. I obviously want to see Jabari and what he starts off with in the NBA, but uh, Okoro's on on the best team here uh, of these of these five different teams. Houston's not a playoff team this year. They're probably not a play-in team. Utah's going to be awful. It's actually a good situation for Walker Kessler because he might get more minutes with Rudy Gobert no longer there. But Utah's in the Victor Wembanyama uh, sweepstakes. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Orlando's going to be feisty. They might be a play-in team. They might be about the ninth best team in the East, but still not a great team. And then Charlotte and JT Thor, similar camp to Walker Kessler. Charlotte's having just a mess of an offseason and preseason. They're not going to be very good. Um, so, great opportunities for the Auburn guys to play a lot as young players, but not opportunities for them to win. Okoro is a part of a team that's trying to win and is going to be pretty good this year. I think Cleveland adding Donovan Mitchell to Darius Garland, the, the third-year man out of Vanderbilt, is, is very interesting. And, and Mitchell's had his own run in Utah, being a high-volume scorer guy, led Utah to a couple of playoff series victories in his time. And then their bigs, Jared Allen, great shot blocker and rebounder around the rim. And Evan Mobley, in five years, could be one of the best three or four players in the NBA. Evan Mobley out of USC what impressed a lot of people uh, last year. He's a long, lanky guy that could do everything. He shoot, he dribble, uh, beat you off the dribble. Got a little bit of a post game, and a really, really polished defender for as young as he is. So Evan Mobley excites a lot of people. Okoro is the, probably the fifth star there. He's going to start at three, but he's the biggest question mark for people. And the reason is is that shooting that Brant talked about. They have reworked his shot. Uh, the stat for you that you may not believe. Isaac Okoro led the NBA last year in most open three-point shots. means he attempted the most shots from three that were deemed to be open. He did not shoot a great percentage. I think it was around 35, 36% of memory serves. 35. Um, And so that in a vacuum is not bad, but when you get the most open looks of anyone in the league, you need to push that up towards 40%. So it's really pivotal that Okoro hit threes to the Cavs. He had a preseason game the other night where he hit, I think, three out of three from three or something like that, which was a really good sign. 
and he is an excellent defender, which they need because Mitchell and Garland are kind of undersized for the guard positions that they play, neither one known for their defense. So Coro is one of those role players that is incredibly important in the development of a team that's trying to go from about the 6th, 7th, 8th best team in the East to maybe the 4th best team, maybe even the 3rd best team if some things shake out weirdly for Brooklyn or for Boston with all the chaos with Ime Udoka in Boston this year. So um, Okoro is going to be very pivotal as a role player for what Cleveland does do. And they're going to be a really fun team. And uh, just, again, wanted to mention JT Thor. JT Thor worked hard on the, his game in the offseason. He had that summer league game where he hit the game-winning three. Uh, and so JT Thor is the guy with all the, not injuries, but arrest in Charlotte. JT Thor is a guy that could be moving up the depth chart. So it'll be interesting to see. That's a guy that was a second-round pick that – Felt like a lot of value. Felt like he was very raw coming out of Auburn, but a guy that's long, lanky, and has a baby's bottom smooth jump shot. I mean, for someone that big, one of the smoother jump shots you'll see. It looks so natural, especially from three. That's what I remember about him from Auburn. And so the, a kind of a high-ceiling type of guy for a second-round pick, so the hope is JT Thor will be able to turn into something for Charlotte. We're going to go ahead and take our next break of the show. When we come back, we'll start to wrap things up. A nightly TV guide will come up in a little bit. I also want to ask you guys a question about the NFL, and it has to do with Amazon in a slight way announcing today they're going to get a Black Friday game, that and more, next. Want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Last segment here on the program today. It will be a little bit of an extended segment, so I'll have a question and then the nightly TV guide. I want to first uh, ask you guys this. So it's, again, Ryan, Brant, Drew, and Brooks on this Tuesday afternoon. So with the news, and one of our callers, I believe it was James, brought up earlier, uh, the news coming out today that the NFL will have its first ever Black Friday game next year in 2023. So, of course, they've always had the Thanksgiving slate. Uh, you've gotten to watch the Lions on Thanksgiving play bad football for years. Uh, but now you get a Friday game, and it's on Amazon. So I want to parlay this into – a different discussion, but along the same media rights lines. This is the last year of NFL Sunday Ticket being exclusively on Direct TV, and of course, there's a lot of money involved here in these new TV deals, especially with the Shield and the value that the NFL has. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on what you would like to see with the new Sunday Ticket deal, which would happen go into effect next year, because of course, as everyone knows now, with Direct TV. You cannot 
uh, get Sunday ticket unless you have direct TV. But the other leagues, heck, we just saw this year in the NBA, NBA League Pass dropped its price. Not only is it accessible to all, it's down to $99. You see the whole league on one screen and $140, I think, if you want two screens simultaneous for, again, the whole league. And it went down on its price 50% of what it was last year. We know MLB uh, Extra Innings, or I guess MLB.TV, is priced around $120, $130 for a full season. So, with that in mind, NFL Sunday ticket, what are you what would you be willing to pay for it? What what kind of service do you think will win out here or want it to win out? Just what are your thoughts on the next situation for NFL Sunday ticket? Uh, well, uh, if you'll let me talk. <laughs> um, I you know, a hundred dollars for the NBA and then like you said, hundred twenty dollars for uh, MLB. I don't know what the NHL NHL does like NHL center ice or whatever it is. You get uh, all the the games. I don't know what their pricing is. Uh, MLS used to have something, but they they signed a deal with um, uh, ESPN Plus that everything was on there. You know what? You know ESPN Plus is what like seven bucks a month or something like that. And then at the other well, now they've got the deal coming up next year with Apple TV. So you have to have Apple TV Plus to watch uh, the local broadcasts of all the or these I say the local broadcasts anything that's not national TV uh, for MLS. Um, I I would say you know probably uh, that one hundred to one hundred and thirty dollar range for the whole season would probably be with the NFL. I know it's less games, but it's more people would be willing to pay a hundred dollars to one hundred and thirty dollars to watch your you know those teams, and I would also say maybe you know this is something that you couldn't do on Sunday Ticket. Um, you would you know you'd have to buy the entire season uh, with you know for the entirety of you know every single team. If you didn't and you wanted to just say hey I want all the Tampa Bay Buccaneers games I want and obviously the Falcons you're in the broadcast area so you would be with all the blackout rules you'd be blacked out. So like for Ryan you're you're a you're a Bucks guy if you want to get all the Bucks games, Drew you're a, you're a Bills guy if you want to get all the Bills games if I want to get all the Patriots games that aren't national broadcast I would pay. X amount of dollars for it, and you could watch it. Also, now uh, watch every single one. Also, going through my mind right now is have an option maybe to just buy a single game, have a price, and say, "Hey, I, you know, I'm I'm going to watch this game," and you pay a price for that single game, and it's not as expensive. And then you know, it, it, you you would get a better deal buying the entire season and make it you know that price where you like, oh well I can just buy every single game, but make it where it, it's a better deal to buy the entire season, but give people you know a different options to be able to you know choose what they want because that's what everybody everybody is you know is going to the streaming process or the streaming uh world where i want to watch these shows so i'm going to take i'm going to go get peacock i want to watch these shows so i'm going to go get apple tv plus well i don't like these shows and it, as much anymore and uh so i'm not going to get netflix i'm not going to pay for netflix and you're kind of picking and choosing where you want to go where you want to you know build up your streaming services i think the nfl would be you could really do something like that is have you know they've they've already launched their nfl plus right and so maybe you you don't go with the a a a group that's doing it like a direct tv or an amazon or apple tv plus you take it on yourself and you say hey you can buy the full season you can buy the individual team season you can buy individual games for set different prices and give people the the options to choose on how they view the nfl you're going to make money anyway the single game option is something that the NBA used to do. Um, 
they used to have a, a lot more options than they do now. They simplified it, um, but they had the one team element. And I think they still have that. It's it's really doesn't make much sense price wise. It's only like twenty dollars cheaper, thirty dollars cheaper for the full year at that point. Just go ahead and buy every game, but. They did used to have single game options, and I struggle. I, I became a league pass guy the first year, the last year they did that, and I don't remember what it was priced. It might have been uh, five or six dollars a game or something like that. I don't know. Which obviously, yes, if, if you even did that fifteen times, you would have exceeded, or twenty times, you would have exceeded the price. But I think that with the NFL, I guess I'm trying to, I'm struggling with also what would they price this at because you know and what would you and again what would you be willing to pay for it because you know I I think the league is obviously the most valuable league in America and it's going to be able to price at a good bit more than what it would be uh, these other leagues are which is in in the hundreds essentially for far more content by the way I mean 162 Major League Baseball games is 130 something dollars for you, or 82 NBA games is again 100 something dollars or 100 dollars even if you just want one screen. I, I just I don't know what the price would be, but it interests me because you know this is some, this has just not been this has not been doable for people that don't have Direct TV for a long time. It's not even been an option. It's not been on people's radar. So Drew, what do you think? And and what service do you think it might end up on? I. So I have um, Sunday ticket. Me and my roommates split it, and it's it's pretty expensive. It's around, or I believe it was around three hundred at the start of the year for the year. And I think that price, in my situation, it works out well because I'm a college student that has four other roommates, and we can split it. But if for those fresh out of college or just younger, that's a lot of money to ask for for the whole season however like you said i do agree it's the most valuable and the most watched league in america it's what like every um the highest rated broadcast from 2022 has been an nfl game other than maybe a college football game or two so i'd like for them to separate it from direct tv more than likely just because it'll give them a bigger audience that can purchase it and as a person who uses Sunday Ticket every Sunday, there's issues with the current format. And I really would like for maybe the NFL, like Brooks was just saying, takes it on themselves and it becomes an NFL network type of thing. Or, um, I don't know, Amazon I struggle with just based on some production issues of the Thursday night games this year. I'm interested to see how that keeps getting ironed out because it's gotten better, but when you're having work yeah yeah when you're having audio issues and there's a lot that needs to be figured out before it can go full streaming i think so hopefully in my ideal world it's handled by the league i guess and price probably won't change much at all so I was about to say I looked up I've looked up the NFL Sunday ticket they have two packages right now that you can purchase you've got the to go package which is sixty nine forty nine per month for four months which is totals to $277.96 then you got the max package which is ninety three forty nine a month for four months that comes up to $373.96 
Um, the the only differences is the only difference is on the Max package you get the Red Zone channel and the Direct TV Fantasy Zone channel, and you don't get that on the on to, to go. Everything else you get every live out of market Sunday afternoon game. Watch it on your computer, tablet, smartphone, laptop, connected device with the game console, real time stats game mix which you can watch up to four games on one screen track up to 20 players from your player tracker and then you get to see shortcuts whole games commercial free in 30 minutes and of course you know we're talking about this and you got the amazon getting another game next year i wonder if that's the league diversifying and maybe they don't go with amazon for this package because of they're they're going to go ahead and give them they still got thursday night football for a long time with that that new deal and then giving them the Friday game on Black Friday. But we'll see. And last thing I'll point out here before the TV guide is just to, to put this put – this, to be clear how much pop, more popular the NFL is. So Alabama-Tennessee broke record for most watched Alabama-Tennessee game. And it was the most streamed college football regular season game in three years, regular season. It drew 11.557 million on CBS. CBS's Bills Chiefs game, which is roughly the same time, it's just a day later, and it's obviously the same network, 25.407 million. So it did over double. And of course, it was also it was the most streamed NFL regular season game ever. But again, you're talking about something that's in three years and ever. There's not a huge difference there, but it went over double of what that Alabama Tennessee game was. So I found that interesting and again just kind of showing how popular the NFL is, and that's why I'm just fascinated by the media rights part of it because a lot of money is going to be involved in, in a new platform as well. All right, about out of time for the show today. You know what that means. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we got? Uh, your movie picks for the evening starting off 6 o'clock on Nickelodeon. It's Space Jam starring Michael Jordan, Bill Murray, the Looney Tunes characters, Phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Better than that, that sequel that they put out, you know, with that hack, LeBron James. Whoa. Whoa. Acting. Miss. Please. Whoa. 7 o'clock on FX night, your Marvel fix for the evening. Captain America, the Winter Soldier is on TV, so check that out. Elsewhere, it's sports are on tonight. The NHL season rolls on as we are still in the early portions of the season. 6 o'clock on ESPN. The Flyers visit the Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending Eastern Conference champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, that's at 6 o'clock ESPN. 6.30 on TNT. The NBA season tips off. The 76ers of Philadelphia take on the Boston Celtics. Some big uh, big sports night in Philadelphia. It's going to have the two screens going up there in the sports bars. Uh, uh, true, three, because at 7 o'clock on FS1, it's game one of the NLCS between the Phillies and the Padres out west. Uh, then at 8.30 tonight on ESPN, the Kings take on the Predators in some hockey action. And, of course, 9 o'clock tonight, the defending NBA champion Golden State Warriors open up their season against that guy that I mentioned earlier that created a bad space jam, LeBron James, <laughs> and the Los Angeles Lakers tonight. And that is a look at your nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much, Brooks, and uh, enjoyed you having you on the program today. We'll yes, see you sir. tomorrow. Absolutely. Drew, thank you for being on the show. Hope you had a lot of fun. Of course, always. And Brant, enjoy it as always. Hope you have a good evening. Thank you for having me. And we, of course, thank all those who tuned in and called in today as well. For Brant Doffrey, Drew Behenna, and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday evening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.